The Incomparable. Number 498. January 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, as always, for like 8,000 episodes, Jason Snell. We're coming, counting down to 500, actually, now, and we're uh, uh, continuing to mop up all of those great TV shows that aired right at the end of 2019 with uh, our episode today about the mandalorian as uh, it appeared on disney plus and it's a, a story about a man a delorean dan morin hi dan morin <laughs> oh wow that was sudden and unexpected <laughs> dan i think you'll find bounty hunting is a complicated profession it's actually not it's actually really easy oh. That's the the dark secret of our job. Okay. And yes, disintegrations. Yep. All disintegrations. Also joining me, Chip Sutter. Hello. The dead speak. No. Oh, no. Oh, wait. Mm. No. But this is Star Wars, right? I'm going to send you a Baby Yoda meme. (laughs) Oh, that one. Mm Mm-hmm. It's the one with Baby Yoda in it. Not not a spoiler, because it's like already been spoiled for the universe. Um, Aline Sims is also here. Hello. Hello. Um... I have nothing witty to say. This is a good series. This is the way. It is the way. Yes. And Helene Wecker joins us. Hello. Hello. I also have nothing witty to say. Okay. Uh, no <laughs> awesome. Short podcast. <laughs> no disintegrations again. Uh, all right. So The Mandalorian, uh, a a nice uh, lot of short episodes, eight episode series, kind of like in and out, a lot of, tells a story. It's episodic. What else, Dan? What am I missing here? We're just going to... Before we uh, spoil everything, we've already spoiled the existence of Baby Yoda, or rather the internet did that for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's worth talking about for, for somebody who's curious, but maybe hasn't gotten around to it, hasn't subscribed to Disney+. Plus. Maybe you're in the United Kingdom where Disney+, Plus maddeningly, maddeningly has not yet launched. Why? Uh, or another country where it hasn't launched. Uh, I thought we'd talk a little bit about like uh, just in general, uh, why what what the show is about and uh, why we like it? Because I liked it, and I think all of you liked it too. And uh, it's it's very enjoyable, but it's also very different. Dan, you did an episode by episode podcast for the TV podcast called "A Complicated Profession." Talked to a bunch of wonderful people. I was also on it, and uh, so why don't you get us started in in sort of like your your what were you expecting going into the Mandalorian, and and uh, and how how did how did it uh, how did you react to what you saw? Yeah, it was tricky to figure out exactly what it was because we'd seen, you know, a couple trailers. Uh, we knew it focused on a Mandalorian, obviously the, um, you know, primarily one that we sort of know. I'm going to asterisk everything heavily because continuity is fun. Uh, was like Boba Fett, but Boba Fett's not really even a Mandalorian, you know. Uh, anyways, so we kind of go in thinking like, is this a, you know, a show that's going to look a lot like these other sort of prestige shows that we've been experiencing, right? Like your Game of Thrones or your Expanse, right? With these heavily serialized, intricate plots and storytelling, etc. Um, the only, you know, we've never had a live action Star Wars series before. So the biggest sort of templates we have to base things on are things like Clone Wars and Rebels. Um, and those are two very different shows in and of themselves as well. You're not counting the Ewoks movies? I had the same thought. <laughs> I am not counting the Ewoks movies. <laughs> anyway, not knowing what to expect, I was very surprised when you know I went to watch the first episode because it did have this much more um, sparse uh, sort of experience going on, right? There's not a lot of dialogue. Um, these are these sort of set pieces. Um, but it bounces around a lot. It doesn't spend a lot of time, you know, really drilling down into the nitty and gritty of things. And what I liked about that, what really worked for me as the series went along, is that it felt very much 
uh, in the vein of, you know, your first experience seeing Star Wars uh, whenever you saw or saw the original movies where things aren't explained necessarily, right? Like we get the idea that we're peeking behind the curtain into this very large world and it's not like every single thing that we come across has this sort of taxonomic designation of exactly what it is. Some things are just sort of left there as an exercise to the reader, if you will. Um, and so rather than delving really heavily into sort of all the canon and the established material that was already out there, uh, it sort of carved its own new path. And that was fun because we all got kind of got to discover a lot of this as we went along. Um, and, for me, that was kind of delightful to be in an experience to to once again be able to go into something not really knowing what to expect, uh, not really knowing what kind of story we're telling or where we are in this universe, and just sort of get a chance to experience it without having to necessarily know all the details of it. And it just it felt very much of a piece for me for uh, from the uh, original trilogy, like it felt very much cut from the same cloth. Mm. And that's that's what I really loved about it more than anything. Aline, what about you? There are so many stories in the Star Wars universe that we don't get to see. You know, so far it's it's been like a lot of movies dedicated to the Skywalker and Skywalker adjacent people um, and the events around their lives. Um, and then, you know, we got the Clone Wars, which was also more of that. And then Rebels, which was a little bit more adjacent um, than in it. And this feels kind of like another thing like that where, you know, it's going to tie in somehow to, to people and characters we know, of course, because there have got to be touchstones, I think. But I really, really love that we're getting to go to these places and see situations and people from a different perspective and to just kind of get like the serialized, get, get the stories and get the spaghetti Western feel. And, uh, it's just, it's good and it's fun and it's, um, it's got adorable characters. Um, I won't spoil it even though the whole entire internet has. There's a baby Yoda. Uh, what what baby Yoda means, uh, we'll save for beyond the spoiler horn. If you only know him from animated GIFs, that appeared on the internet, then uh, that's all you get to know. Honestly, I think that's like 90% of Baby Yoda, those <laughs> animated animated gifts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I love it. I think it's a good show. There weren't any episodes that I cringed or groaned through. I thought it was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. And we've had other conversations about this for other shows, but I did really appreciate that they dropped it week by week ish as opposed to all at once. I didn't realize how much I, I kind of wanted breathing space and series until we've been experiencing that a little bit more with um, streaming services. So I thought that was another boon um, for people in countries who are getting Disney Plus later, you know, binge it. But it was kind of nice to not to not have to do that and get a little bit of room to process and think about it. But I think it's excellent. I like the characters. Um, there are some um, really amazing well, at least one amazing woman character to several, you know, which is more than we can say for other Star Wars properties. Um, and it's got some awesome, like, 
robots. Um, it's got some robot racism. And so wow. it's, um, you know, it's got a little bit of everything. What, it's a, yeah, all the stuff that you tune in for, robot racism yeah. and robots. Robot racism <laughs> What's, and what robots, are, yeah. What are robots without the racism, I ask you? Mm. Helene, what about you? Uh, how do you feel about The Mandalorian overall? I really loved it. Um, and I sort of found myself wondering what sort of meetings they had had um, going into sort of the planning and the storyboarding of what is the lowest amount of Star Wars knowledge um, that, you know, who who is our, our like least Star Wars um, uh, knowledgeable viewer and can we still make them interested in the show? Um, because I, myself, I mean, I'm a Star Wars fan. I am not, I have a hard time judging where I fall on sort of the fan spectrum. I've seen all the movies a ton of times. I don't, I have not seen any of the animated series except for like the three episodes I caught over my daughter's shoulder. Um, I don't know the comic books. I read like the first two novels when they came out like 20, 25 years ago. Um, but a lot of the more uh, sort of specialized, you know, deep cut knowledge is like flies over my head until I see someone online or in a podcast talking about it and realize that like that thing that I saw like flew right over my head and hit someone dead in the center of their forehead and just like electrified them. <laughs> and that makes me more interested because the thing that I love most is knowing that there is this whole other universe like of, of stuff attached to a show that I can go and look at and get more interested in um, and, you know, find out more about. But I don't necessarily have to. Yeah. And so they've done a fantastic job of, you know, and, and it's been, you know, said a number of times, but I think it, it bears repeating how rich in um, – in, in depth and and detail this show is um while what the really interesting thing to me is at the same time being so aware of itself um it's, it's through gosh just some of the guest star appearances it's almost like meta um that you know they could get any voice actor instead they're going to get taika waititi they're going to get richard ayoade you know, they're going to get people whose voices, you know, and you're going to be sitting there listening and going, wait, isn't that instead of like, um, you know, just having a voice actor. Um, and so it, it it's I don't know. I just I've spent a lot of time the last like month or two after watching each show, like at after afterwards, sort of trying to puzzle out why it is that I like the series as much as I do for as simple as it is. And I think it's because if, it, and if I figured it out at all, it's because it is this very um, simple story told over an incredibly deep background. And so you just see the background through the story, but at the same time, you can just enjoy this very simple, sometimes overly simplistic story. Chip, did stuff fly off the screen and hit you right in the forehead? I don't understand how this works so well. I don't how, understand how The Mandalorian can be simultaneously uh, the most, if you'll excuse the expression, down-to-earth Star Wars story that we've gotten in a long time. And it also cast Werner Herzog and Amy Sedaris. Okay. <laughs> I mean, these, these two facts should not be together. I love me some Jedi. 
I love me some lightsaber swinging and things like that. But that's not all that Star Wars is. And um, for, you know, I was a I was a Marvel Comics reading Star Wars fan back in the day um, between like, uh, you know, in the early days between A New Hope and Empire. And, you know, Luke occasionally pulls out his lightsaber, but everybody else there there's there's no Jedi to be found and all that stuff. There are fans of the Star Wars universe who want the Han Solo stuff. And that's what the Mandalorian delivers all over the place. Uh, the other thing that when this was announced, I thought it was going to be a yawn because this character just looked like Boba Fett. It's a Mandalorian. It's a bounty hunter. Um, we've seen this stuff before. And for people who are into the animated series, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on with Mandalorian. So, oh, an, uh, a, another Boba Fett clone. Great. And with the end of episode one, you know that that is exactly not the kind of show that you're getting. Um, I was surprised at every turd. There were parts that were laugh out loud funny that I wasn't expecting. There's even a fan service reveal in the very last shot. Uh, this show fed me uh, from beginning to end. Yeah, I think one of the things that is uh, I, I, I really like hearing Helene talk about how you it hits it right that you don't need deep knowledge of Star Wars, but if you have it, you will get more out of it. And as somebody who's more like Helene in that I have seen all the Star Wars movies and I, I've seen a few of the animated things and like read a Star Wars book once maybe, but like <laughs> I don't, I cannot name like other people I know, Dan, uh, like aliens <laughs> and planets and stuff like that. It's like, I don't know. Uh, you know, that's like, I never, I never took the deep dive into Star Wars canon, which is fine because they decanonized most of it. And watching it, it's like, it's it doesn't matter. Like this is a show that's sort of for everyone or at least everyone who mm -hmm. is aware of what Star Wars is, which is pretty much everyone, um, but it's got the other stuff there, and and you can look it up and be like, oh, what was that? And it's like, oh, wow, this is actually a reference to that. But it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's so self-assured. Um, I think somebody said, like, it's uh, maybe it was Helene. Um, it's simple. It, it's it's simple. It's The structure is simple. It is telling some fairly simple stories. Um, and it's refreshing in that way that it's so confident in what it's doing, which is amazing for a, the first live action Star Wars TV series, um, that it, it it will take its time and it will tell little stories and it knows where it's going and it's going to pay stuff off by the end of the eight episodes. They're also not that long. They're, you know, some of them are very short. In fact, they're 38 minutes or something. Um, and uh, it, it's just it's 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 nice to have a show that is not trying to be I, I love a show that is trying to be this amazing piece of art that is going to challenge you in a, a dozen different ways and has a bunch of things interlinked and all of that but i also kind of like a show that is confident enough to keep it on the simple side and know what kind of stories it wants to tell and that's the mandalorian to me is it it knows what it, what it is and it is what it wants to be and it, within that, it is incredibly entertaining and, and gets Star Wars in a way that not everybody gets Star Wars. I'll put it that way. It's kind of the wizard from J.R.R. Tolkien uh, version. You know, it it arrives exactly when it means to. It, it's exactly <laughs> yeah. as long as it needs to be is the yeah. thing that I think of, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's nothing in there. You know, I, I, I've covered shows that run 23, 26 episodes a year and like, there's going to be clunkers in a, in a 23 to 26 episode season because you cannot produce like in the way that those things are churned out. It's pretty much impossible to produce 
just great episodes all around. But with eight episodes of kind of whatever length you need them to be, it's really quite possible to make, you know, eight solid, really good episodes of television. And I think that they do a nice job with it. Like you said, the self-containedness of the fact that like even week to week, you know, sure, there's an ongoing storyline with Baby Yoda. And sure, there is some stuff that it like in the at the end of the season that sort of brings it all together. But, you know, if you picked up episode three or four, you could probably drop right into that and sort of be like, all right, I have a couple questions, but I can also basically follow the action of this episode. It's pretty self-contained. I like the idea of picking up episode three since it's a streaming series. It's like it's like you're watching <laughs> past you the TV that it was, that was yeah. on and you just sat I, down. I will say, if you've ever like, flown a plane recently and tried to use the onboard uh, entertainment system, sometimes they just have random episodes of shows. <laughs> I do really love that the episodes are, like has been stated, they are exactly as long as they need to be. Like that first episode, um, I don't think either Justin and our, Justin or I looked to see how long the episode was. We just kind of assumed it would be about an hour. So we started playing and we watched it. And then we looked at the clock and we looked at how long the episode was. And it was like, that felt like an hour long episode mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the best possible way, but it was under 40 minutes long, but it told the story they wanted to tell. It told the story it needed to tell. And there wasn't a lot of extraneous weird stuff that they put in just to fill in time or, or whatever. And I really, really love that about this streaming service future where storytellers can use the medium the way that fits the story in the way that fits the story as opposed to trying to make something fit in a 30 minute window with commercials or an hour with commercials or a special episode that's 90 minutes long you know it's it's really really nice and refreshing and I think that really helped the episodes fly by for me because there weren't parts where I was bored and there weren't parts where I was like, I don't really know what's happening because this episode has to go so quickly. It, it wasn't the the rise of Skywalker of TV shows, you know. <laughs> it was it was great, but also makes you anticipate the next one, right? Like you, oh, I, never yes. did I finish yeah. an episode yeah. and not be like, I wish I could watch the next yeah. one right now. Yeah, yeah, I was a little behind, so I wound up binging the last few. But the delayed release was perfect for building anticipation. It's uh. It's show run by John Favreau, mainly by John Favreau and Dave Filoni. Uh, John Favreau, we all know, uh, uh, the movie director. Dave Filoni is familiar to uh, fans of the Star Wars animated series. So it's that perfect mix of really good crowd pleasing storytelling with uh, somebody who's got a, a history with the Lucasfilm story group and everything else, you know, all of the stuff we said before. But it, somebody described this as a live action Star Wars cartoon. And with the the pacing, the release schedule, the length of the episodes, it really is. Um, it, 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 it's it's bite sized and tasty and you get a bite every week and pretty soon you've you've you, pretty soon you've had a satisfying uh, miniseries experience and let me tell you having watched some episodes of rebels um recently after this was over i was like oh well maybe i'll catch up with that the animated star wars what 
uh, it does. It absolutely does feel like Dave Filoni's presence is felt, even though John Favreau wrote six of the eight episodes. So he, he is clearly the number one kind of person on this show. But Dave Filoni is there and he has the knowledge and, and I think clearly imparted something in terms of the vibe of this show, because, yeah, it does feel a little bit like animation sensibility in the way the story is told, too, because a lot of animated stuff really does lean in on the visuals. It's not surprising, given that it's animated and that the people who are creating it are are. Um, you know, very visually oriented themselves. Um, but one thing that struck me having watched Rebels is 22 minutes or whatever. Oh, it's really hard to tell a story in 22 minutes. And uh, it makes the 40 minute or 35 minute episode of The Mandalorian feel almost luxurious, but not wasteful and that that mm-hmm. i i think it's maybe that dave filoni for example had has built up a lot of really good muscles in terms of getting story to fit in a short space and yeah. it's a little more relaxed but never wasteful always mindful of the fact that 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 you don't want to throw in anything that you can't use yeah the the other you know sort of the yin yang like sort of compliment there is like obviously filoni has spent a lot of time working on serialized storytelling, but hasn't worked with live action. Whereas John Favreau has spent a lot of time working with live action, but not necessarily on serialized storytelling. And the two of those things, I mean, they really go together. And I think that from the from the little behind the scenes stuff I read, it sounded like the you know the two of them, and they've worked together for a long time. John Favreau did a voice for a fairly significant character in Clone Wars. So, you know, clearly they have a long relationship that goes back a ways. And so being able to sort of build on each other's strengths and put out something like that, like it really takes advantage of both of their, their, uh, all those assets and it delivers something that is surprising that from these two guys who between, uh, between them haven't produced anything of this exact format in media can do so well on their initial outing. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Do you have a website? Uh, you might. You might. And does your website have a shopping cart? It might. How about a registration form? How about a contact us page? Every website's got that. If you're making money on the internet, you probably have these things. And if you answered yes to these questions, you need Pingdom. Nobody wants critical website transactions to fail. That means a bad experience for everyone. It's bad for your users. It's lost business for you. The good news is you can set up transaction monitoring with Pingdom. Transaction monitoring alerts you when cart checkout forms and login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. Pingdom will let you know the moment any of them fail in whatever way is right for you and your business. The way your organization is set up, you can set those alerts to go where you need them to go. So the right person hears when something is broken. And it can even depend on how severe the outage is, who gets alerted, and when. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, you will be the first to know. And that's always a good thing. It's super easy to get started. Go to pingdom.com snell right now. You'll get a 14-day free trial, no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code snell at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of The Incomparable. I found myself wondering uh, while I was watching what sort of story constraints you end up with when you have a main character whose face you can't see. And <laughs> that made me think when it, I actually saw like the first two or three episodes before 
I realized that the, the, the person who was like the co-creator, uh, had was, you came from, uh, the Clone Wars and, and Rebels. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense then. Because it's all going to be through the visuals and the pacing and the tone of voice. And it's not going to be like these overly um, sort of, the, the, the character moments are going to be broadcast. They're not going to be like, we watch our hero brooding out the window and that's how we know that like what he's thinking. We can't see, you know, reactions. We have to uh, it has to be simple enough where there's going to be maybe one of two ways that the character can jump. Um, and we're going to know through the dialogue or through action which way the character jumps. We're not going to see like, you know, a hint of betrayal on someone's face. We're not going to see a sneaky look. We're going we're gonna to know from more like simple cues. And so that to me said, okay, well maybe like, you know, going on what you just said, Dan, maybe these two were like the only, you know, that's the alchemy that's of, 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 you know, live action and animation that's, that, that ended up with this. It's, it's, you know, just sort of this, this perfect blend that it sounds like none of us can quite figure out how they came <laughs> up with it, but, uh, mm. but it seems to work. And one of the things kind of building on that is we don't see the main character's face throughout this. The, the acting like within the suit is, it's extremely expressive and, you know, you can tell just like a little bit of a shoulder slump and a head hang when something doesn't go right or whatever. And it speaks volumes. And the other thing about the series is there's actually not a lot of dialogue. Yep. Um, the the main character does, doesn't talk a lot. He's um, brusque and to the point and he says what needs to be said and nothing more, um, sometimes even maybe less than what needs to be said. And it works extremely well. There are entire like minutes of episodes where there's zero dialogue and it's so, so good. It's so well done. And I think that's where having that visual storytelling background, the background in actually like illustrating and communicating things through scenes and body language or, um, yeah, like through background scenes and body language is, um, such an amazing boon to this property. It's, it's just really good. The music. That adds so much, especially because there is so little dialogue and you've got the masked lead character. Um, you know, the music has to do a lot of heavy lifting. And, and you know, just like Rise of Skywalker, you know, in some respects is saved by, uh, by you know, John Williams being John Williams. Yeah, let's hear it for Ludwig Göransson, right? Like Ludwig Göransson, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, it, it sounds like nothing else and it's the first it's the first star wars property that hasn't really just aped john williams's stuff um the the and the previous animated series uh totally did and uh this is its own thing uh the western tropes um with um with with some modern sensibility and some orchestral bits so i mean the theme, the theme to the Mandalorian is just beautiful art. It really is. Um, 
talking about the main character's performance, uh, I was reminded, I, I think this came up in the episode of, of uh, the TV podcast that I was on with Dan, that I started to think of this performance by Pedro Pascal and some stunt men too, who are sometimes in the armor. It's not always Pedro Pascal. But I, I started to think of it as a, it's almost like a creature performance. I kept thinking about Doug Jones and all the different parts that he's mm-hmm. played. And Doug Jones is an incredibly, and he's Saru on Star Trek Discovery, but he's an incredibly talented body like mover like because you're you're in a you're in a you know suit uh your face is is completely obscured by makeup or 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 invisible you know entirely how do you get any performance out there and it is it's all in the rest of the body movement and that's what this performance is it's it's that along with the voice performance but very limited dialogue and it totally works this is in fact i would say that this is a really they should. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, but you know, this is something that should be taught in a filmmaking class. Um, helpful because it's not a long thing. You could show one 30 minute episode, but to show how you don't need lots of dialogue, you don't need lots of expressivity uh, from the face of your actor to have a performance and to tell a story. And uh, Pedro Pascal, his performance is great, but it's his voice and it's his physicality and not his pretty, pretty face. We all saw him on Game of Thrones, right? Like he's, we've cast a very attractive man who you will never see his face. Uh, but uh, it's remarkable. And and that, that was the moment where it ticked over from me being like, they got to show his face, right? To, oh, I see what ha- what's happening. He is doing this great creature performance inside that armor and it's mm-hmm. really really good it's brave how brave is it though for them to be like nope <laughs> nope not gonna see his face nope, yeah, not I at mean, all uh, star wars has a long history of that too which is probably helpful to some regards right like you know darth vader certainly there's a lot of character there sure. for a person whose face we don't exactly. see stormtroopers both and all this i mean i think a lot also in the writing of these episodes both in terms of like how they're telling this story about this character but also you know Aline mentioned the the little dialogue and I think again as we talked about sort of things being condensed to a point where it's like as long as it needs to be there's just enough dialogue as there needs to be too because there's a lot that you can take away from the character of the Mandalorian and I'll point out that not only do we not uh, see his his face we don't even know his name for the (laughs) right like he is the Mandalorian right like you Uh, know mando Mando, yeah and so the fact that i felt very early on and i know chip was talking earlier about like oh man it's just gonna be like a boba fett ripoff i felt from episode one like this was a character who was already so defined in the way that they communicated in the way they interacted with people that it was very clear they were a completely distinct character from boba fett in that way right like Mm -hmm. i i think one of the things i noted very early on is like he is, despite being a you know great fighter and he's brutal when he needs to be, he's also very polite to a lot of people. Um, like I think especially about his uh, his uh, interactions with Quill uh, in the first episode. Um, and he has this very he's got a code, right? Like even even before we sort of get into the Mandalorian way of life. This is a guy who was raised to like do a job very well, but he also has honor. He has a a way that the, he thinks he needs to act, and all of that is conveyed just from some very simple interactions with people. You drop another character in those situations, and those things will play out very differently. And that tells you you've drawn a really three dimensional character in this way. And I think that a lot goes both to the the performance of the people in the suit, including Pedro Pascal, but also to the writers in terms of creating a character who can be exactly 
exemplified in this way. And I mean, you know, we talked about the Western sensibilities too. And obviously Clint Eastwood's Man with No Name seems like a huge influence on this as well. And and certainly Toshiro Mifune in the Kurosawa movies before that. Like this is a template of character that we have seen before, but it's also still just wonderfully realized by all the people involved. There's a lot in common between space opera and Western, and this just fuses it. You have bits of it in A New Hope and other Star Wars, but this 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 is the fusion. Um, is this the first, like, major lawful neutral character in the Star Wars universe? <laughs> oh, yeah, let's definitely go down in alignment. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's really a poutine of characters, if you think about it. I'm trying to, oh, I don't even, I, I just started to picture the alignment chart. Let's, instead of that, let's fire off the spoiler <laughs> horn, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more uh but if you haven't seen the mandalorian maybe you don't want to be spoiled on anything except that there is a baby yoda uh, whatever that is and uh so you could go away and then come back after you watch them on disney plus or if you're brave you can continue past the spoiler horn which is going to come uh right about now oh boy what a relief baby yoda um Ugh. Did you know that there's a Baby Yoda? Oh, we already did that, didn't we? Are, are his basic needs being met? Like <laughs> <laughs> He got some bone broth. Is he, is he going to have a vocabulary? Is he still in diapers? Like, he, the Maslow's hierarchy of, of Baby yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know, guys, but I'm pretty sure he's at least going to be able to speak his sentences forward. <laughs> well, he was, he was, keep in mind, he was for an undetermined amount of time, possibly as much as 50 years, being kept by a bunch of of random people out in the middle of nowhere on some random planet in like off the grid yeah unclear there's a lot of questions so are his basic needs being met <laughs> <laughs> we're not seeing a lot of like early reading stuff preparation no yeah like the here. picture books are very sparse yeah no. i like yeah. to think there's just one year where he grows up and just like one year he goes from like kid to adult <laughs> like Groot. i am wondering if there's going to be like like yeah like baby groot if there's going to be some Groot's real spurt. real uh adolescence happening but so we got to start with this, though, speaking of spoilers, which is the amount of just deception and also bypassing probably some really easy money to oh, yeah. keep mm-hmm. Baby Yoda's existence in this show a secret. Because going into that first episode, there's nothing we know about this other than, you know, we, there's been some casting and there's this guy and he's a bounty hunter and he's got the armor and like, what will the show be about? And then you get to that moment toward the end and you're like... Oh, this this isn't about what I thought it was at all. It's about this this you know hard bitten bounty hunter who suddenly has to take care of a kid. Like that's not the show I thought this was. And they didn't mm-hmm. make the toys, mm-hmm. and they didn't have the t shirts ready to go or anything like that because they wanted to keep it a secret. And you know what? For those of us who didn't get spoiled on it by the internet, um, that was great. That was a great reveal. Yeah. I thought it was great. When when have we ever seen anything that's that major? That yeah. doesn't get leaked and spoiled the in key, some way. The key, it needs to be a puppet who doesn't have an agent who's going to leak it to the Hollywood Reporter. <laughs> there That's you the go. Key. That puppet there you has go. an agent, clearly. Well, now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, and and even, even having been spoiled that there was going to be a Baby Yoda in this thing, uh, my impression of the show just completely flipped. And I knew I was going to be in love with it forever and ever. The last shot of episode one, after the Baby Yoda reveal, after the Mandalorian has shot the IG droid and then just reaches his little finger out to 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 play with the baby Yoda. I mean, as soon as I saw that, I knew that I was I was in for the duration. <laughs> the whole thing about like keeping it a secret and foregoing all the money, I kind of have to wonder 
does Disney, well, obviously Disney doesn't need the money, but is the return greater for them because we are sharing it? We are making the t-shirts, we are making the mugs, and we are sending all the the, the, the GIFs around. My daughter, someone sent me a, a, a Baby Yoda GIF like literally earlier tonight, and, and my daughter was like peering over my phone at my shoulder, uh, over my shoulder at my phone, and she said, oh, that's Baby Yoda. I'm like, you've never seen an episode of The Mandalorian. How do you know the baby? How do you know Baby Yoda? And she's like, she couldn't even tell me. You know, it's just like sort of was floating here at, at at daycare and you know at after school yeah. care and you know someone just showed her Baby Yoda. It's like, okay, if they had done the T-shirts, if they had done the dolls, it wouldn't be as cool. And I think it, maybe that's like a loss leader for them. Hmm. Maybe that's like you're establishing you've got all the money now. You need cachet. But it's it's whip smart on their part, and I applaud them for it. I like the conspiracy theory that it's like, yeah, 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 we meant to do this. Yeah, actually, you're, you're <laughs> probably, that's probably the pitch that they gave, right? It's like, no, no, yeah. what we do is we keep this on the down low, and then everybody's going to be talking about it. Actually, we, we just forgot to call marketing. That was the... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, again, a, a, a franchise that is in, has certainly in the past been predicated on huge twists, yeah. right? Like, I, I, I think... Again, it seemed like something that's kind of hearkening back to I, I can easily imagine the creative people in this going to like, look, we want to give people the experience that they had going into Empire Strikes Back, you know, 40 years ago and saying, oh, my God, this thing I totally didn't see coming. Right. Like I, I can clearly to my mind's eye anyway see that meeting where it's like we we think we can replicate all the merchandising we want but it's in, almost impossible to replicate that experience of surprising someone especially in this day and age of social media where the second something's out there it is viral and you can't stop it so i think i think helene's right that it like it does it works in their favor that the grassroots sort of people sharing it and turning it into a thing instead of being a thing that's pushed and shoved down your throat. Really, it really just works for that. I can just imagine that early marketing meeting where they're deciding how they're going to roll out this show and John Favreau or somebody just brings in the puppet uh, covered up and says, all right, I'm going to show you the key to this entire series it cannot leave this room. He lifts a blanket and there's the baby Yoda puppet and everybody around the table melts. No, it's so it's like a hideous it's like a hideous alien and they're like, ooh, he's like, Yes, yeah, say no more. Say no more about this hideous alien. And then they don't even realize and then they see the the episode and they're like, Oh man, they fooled us. Tricks. Um the one of the things that's great about the so Baby Yoda is both uh need needs the protection of the Mandalorian. And also protects the Mandalorian, and that that is one of the clever little uh, combinations because the baby Baby Yoda appears to have great, but un, kind of uncontrolled force powers. The only f- use of the force we see in this, because this is not a show about Jedi, and in fact, there's a very much of a, a kind of like, oh, I've never even heard of anything like this. And some people yeah. are like, I've heard of some kind of something. And at the very end, there's like, oh yeah, the enemies of Mandalore were were like wizards who's supposed to have powers like this. So maybe he's one of them. But what we, but what we do get is he can use the power a little bit, but then he gets real sleepy. And uh, and so he saves the Mandalorian at a few points, but he can't save him all the time. And the Mandalorian needs to save Baby Yoda all the time, basically. And uh, it's it's a nice combination. I enjoy like that moment where he uh, he stops the uh, Mudhorn from killing the Mandalorian is a great reveal. 
Um, but you know, he can't do it all the time. And, and I, I like the kind of symbiosis there between the two characters that they, they're really both taking care of each other, except it's like really mostly the Mandalorian, but every now and then baby Yoda's like, Oh yeah, I could do a thing. I could put my, my hands up and <laughs> mm-hmm. do a thing. And, and what's more relatable than working really hard at something and then being sleepy. I mean, we all know how it feels. Right? <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I don't even work that hard and I'm sleepy. <laughs> I like that it's the hard left turn away from the thing that we're all expecting, right? Like Chip was talking before about like, this is like the Han Solo part of the story, right? Like we're not getting into the Skywalker saga. We're not getting into this. Even, I think John Syracuse was keeping track at one point, like even with the spinoff movies, you see a lightsaber in like every single Star Wars movie, right? Because like that's that's like kind of one of your identifying traits. We got through the the credits of the last episode of The Mandalorian <laughs> yep. without seeing a lightsaber of any kind. Yep, that is yep. literally and true. Then, and then there was a post credit sequence where there was a lightsaber. <laughs> yeah. But okay, all right, fine, fine. Well, technically, it was a, a dark saber. Yeah, thank you, yeah. thank you. <laughs> Sit in the Sorry. back corner, Chip nerd corner. You. <laughs> the fact that they swerve so hard away, like to the point of even like. Jedi are not mentioned until the very end. I love it. I always loved Han Solo being a a Jedi doubter, right? It's like, what? Like in in the first Star Wars movie, especially where it's like, what? That's just all made up, dumb, hokey religion stuff. That's, that's, I don't believe it, right? I always liked that. I hated that the prequels made it like they were at the center of the the galaxy. Although even then, I believe it's a big galaxy and people out on the fringes don't believe any of the weird stories that they've heard. And so I like that in this, it's like, yeah, I might have heard something about this. One character says, but they can't even name it. And then we get the Jedi very, very late. And like, I, I like that. Like, this is Star Wars and there is a Yoda type alien who has force powers. But like people around it are, are they show wonder, which is great, yeah, right? It's like, right. oh, look, the force is actually magical and interesting because it's so rare and so shocking. And we, as the audience, are in a position to know more yeah, than, right? than the people in the show. Which are you is shouting at the weird. characters and be like, it's yeah. the Force! It's the force he's, yeah. he's tired when he uses it! He can't help you now! He's sleeping! <laughs> when we saw the Darksaber, my husband and I looked at each other like, you're not supposed what? to have that. Yeah, like, what is happening? Well, and, and as somebody who doesn't know anything about that, I looked at that and I was like, whoa, that is like, <laughs> there's a crazy, like, black lightsaber that this guy has? Like, what is that about? And then I, you know, went on the internet, but that would have been a perfectly good cliffhanger for me to be like, mm-hmm. well, I can't wait to learn more of that in season two of The Mandalorian, or I could go to Wikipedia right now and hear all about it. I have never been on Wikipedia so much in my life. I, 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 I heard the podcast after the final episode because I too had been like, oh, I guess that's like a, an interesting lightsaber. And then so as so I heard the, the podcast and literally my husband came home and I was like, okay, so you know that lightsaber that was on the thing? It's not just any lightsaber. It's a dark saber. And, he, and my husband's like, okay, so that's like a dark lightsaber. I'm like, no, this is like one ring. It was like this guy had a meeting and then it got passed down. And well, and, and I've never liked that for Star Wars because there's always someone, you know, who knows more than me. And I, you know, that's not like my deep fandom fandom. And I've never felt so much like a Star Wars fan as like going and looking stuff up about this show and then mm-hmm. like, boring my husband to death with it and it just makes me feel no, that's fandom. like like yeah, exactly exactly what is fandom if not to bore our, our beloveds but it, it it just makes me feel happy mm-hmm. i mean it, it like like we said before the spoiler horn you know it's the perfect blend of just storytelling that works no matter how little you know about the universe but 
all of this stuff that's just sprinkled in that uh, serves as an Easter egg, feeds the fans. The the Dark Saber is itself an Easter egg, right. you know. Well, IG Eleven. If you are not one of these people who has like stop motion freeze framed the that one scene in Empire Strikes Back with the bounty hunters, right? You're going to be like, oh, there's a there's a weird bounty robot. That's cool, and it's no, me. and maybe it's the voice of Taika Waititi. But you know, if you if you've watched that scene, you're like, oh, oh, it's like IG88, but he's a different number, but he's still one. He's like a bounty hunter, like Boba Fett, and Mandalorian's kind of like Boba Fett, and this guy's kind of like IG88, and right. But uh, it's not necessary. He's a cool droid, yeah. and and also unlike an Empire where it's just kind of a cardboard figure in the corner of the room this is a to- totally animated they he actually does stuff yeah yeah he, he ro- and, and in weird robot ways which is yes. really awesome and then later he is programmed to serve tea uh which is even more awesome <laughs> uh, dan we found our tea robot oh finally that's what i need uh i need a tea robot slash nurse droid mm-hmm. it just occurred to me now that it's like the the lasting effect of the british like the, the british british voices on in, in the original <laughs> series is when you want to prove that something has been has been civilized you make it serve tea mm-hmm. because there's nothing more civilized than tea and therefore it's not going to kill you it's just going to serve tea talk about fan service um the, the one episode that seemed to be a little more controversial than most was the one that is set on tatooine Mm. You know, I think people are like, wow, they went r- with lots of references in this episode because it's it's set on Tatooine. I personally enjoyed it because I felt like it 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 stayed on this side of being reasonable. I think maybe the one moment, the one moment where I thought it was really kind of funny and maybe a little too far was that they literally go back to the same bar from Star Wars. But even in that, I thought it was great because it's obviously it's like 10 years later and now not only are droids allowed there, but like a droid is running the bar. They've eliminated the human workforce. Yeah, right. So I, I, I thought that was that was kind of funny, and I, I thought that since that was episode what five, five, I think. Yeah, uh, I feel like this show had earned to to go to a place that we we recognized, and they were only there for the one episode, and most of that was spent out in the desert. So I, I think it was it was fine, and then there was a bunch of great new stuff in there because that's the episode with Amy Sedaris in it uh, as the mm-hmm. as the uh, mechanic slash uh, opportunistic babysitter. So <laughs> I yeah I I did hear some of the criticism of that episode as just sort of wallowing in nostalgia, and I I, I disagree. I mean, it was as you said one episode out of eight, and it was a setting. And it re it literally revisited some sets, but they told their own story uh, with a familiar background. And that's all. I was a lot more mad about it before I saw episode nine, <laughs> at which point I was like, "Yeah, it's fine. You, you earned that. Like I've, there's way more fan service than Rise of Skywalker. Um, my biggest disappointment with that episode is actually not enough Ming-Na Wen. Yes. That's my feeling. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She of all the of all the guest stars in this season, that she did seem sort of wasteful or wasted. She's a an assassin, and she has a uh, a conversation with dumb, dumb, dumb uh, uh, the guy played by Jake Cannavale, who's just like dumb bounty hunter with he's like a level zero character. He's like, <laughs> I want to be level one. Like, dude, you're not gonna be level <laughs> you're not gonna one. Make not, it. You're, you're not, gonna, not gonna make it. And so, yeah, that was that was unfortunate that that uh, she is apparently dead. Although then there's although, a mysterious figure next yeah. to her body so that maybe something that has not been addressed in the in the end of the show that, so. that's right but because there are a bunch yeah. of other this is a, here's a segue there are a bunch of other care actors in here that are are used to great effect um carl weathers 
Carl uh, who you may know from his uh, from his acting school from uh, Arrested <laughs> Development. He's Grief Karga, who is basically the Mandalorian's boss at several, and then like wannabe boss again later on. He's in this, and he's great. Werner Herzog is in it. Werner Herzog. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> I, I have been outside of town and there's a large cave with paintings from the olden times. I um, still don't he, understand. Did he blink once the entire time he was on screen? <laughs> it's so weird. And I'm like, I love this. I love that it's Werner Herzog and that he is this like strange uh, empire remnant of the empire dude which by the way i really love that this is set right after return of the jedi because i feel like this is my frustration with the um with the movies jumping ahead and also the animated series not really filling this gap is this idea that there's a power vacuum and it doesn't just transition over into everybody's Mm -hmm, happy. mm -hmm. And that's when the Mandalorian is set. So you've got people in like dirty stormtrooper armor who are, who and remnants of Imperial weapons who are trying to be like warlords and all of that. And Werner Herzog is part of that. And later we get Giancarlo Esposito and he's also kind of part of this. Like they're not really the empire anymore but they're bad guys and they're trying to hold on to power in some way or other and those are really effective uses of 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 guest stars too both of those guys yeah no the again in a show that is not a lot of episodes and not very long episodes it manages to bring in these side characters and do a great job of painting them uh in really three-dimensional ways obviously cara dune who we should talk about played by gina carano gina carano yeah uh, who is fantastic uh i'd only I think I'd only seen her in one other thing before this, which was a Fast and the Furious movie, which is, you know, that's not a good scene to see anybody in. Um, yeah, because she, was a, she was a fighter. She was a, a professional yeah, she's athlete. A, yeah. She's yeah, an MMA, MMA and Mai Tai yeah. Uh, yeah, and, fighter. And she, she plays, obviously, that's a big part of her character is being sort of a, a martial badass but she's also got an interesting sort of story with her, I yeah. feel like, or just interesting. We don't know everything about her, but like she draws on different parts of the of the mythology, right? Like she's an ex-rebel. Uh, she's running away from something. We don't really know all the details. And she's from about Alderaan, that. a planet that she's got blown Alderaan, up yeah. only a few years before and never gets really addressed with Princess Leia. So maybe <laughs> Gina Carana can help us here. <laughs> yeah. And, and, there, and the fact that she and the Mandalorian, like kind of, they're sympathetic right like they have a certain amount of stuff in common and they sort of work together and they become friends you know we see the mandalorian is is not a character who necessarily has a lot of friends um but it's kind of fun to watch that relationship develop and it's done very very just uh tersely very efficiently and and that seems to work really well for those characters and they didn't do the thing that so many other uh properties or or content creators would have done which is like well now here's the woman so she's going to be maternal and instead it's like who is most likely to hold baby yoda like a football (laughs) yes it's her you know and and i it's a little thing but i really really appreciated that it it, they weren't just like oh well finally we have a woman to take care of the kid so um and she's she's just so good she's just so good at everything she does in the series i am completely in love with her character one of the great uh, shames of that uh you know i know why it's like this but in episode eight they're all standing out in the desert and 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 it's uh the mandalorian and it's carl weathers and it's gina carano and they're like 
Wow, we're a great team. Okay, well, I got. I'm out of here. I'm going to leave now and go to my second season of my show. Goodbye. And it's like, but no, <laughs> but you're a great team. And it's like, mm, I Form work alone. Team. They'll be back, except for my baby Yoda. Yeah, except for my baby. Oh, they'll they'll be they'll be back. Like I, I have I have high uh, expectations that those characters There's will way return more to do with us because sure. there's sure. so much more to do. Um, uh, another character I wanted to mention that is. Fi- like the Mandalorian, we never see their face. Is the armorer who is in like the first and last episode or the like third uh, and Emily Emily Swallow. Emily Swallow. Who's uh also played a major role on Supernatural. Sorry, Jason, I had to say. Okay, sure. It's great. <laughs> uh, I've never seen her before. Anyway, and I haven't seen her now because she's in yeah, Mandalorian armor. Hey. Uh but what does she look like? But this is and this is one of the things that I really liked about the the Mandalorian and uh like culture like riff here that he never takes his helmet off and he says this is the way you know we've got a code uh the mandalorians all kind of come out of their bunker and help him escape the planet at one point and at great risk and in fact at great cost as we find out in the eighth episode to them because they they all uh you know have to uh, support one another and uh we learn that he is a, a foundling who is taken in and becomes a mandalorian he's not born into uh mandalorianness but he it's is not a, it's, it's a creed it's right? a Creed, and, and what I told Dan is that is that I fa- I'm fascinated by this because we get a lot of, of genocides in Star Wars, quite frankly, and the, for probably obvious reasons, they're they're rarely addressed because it's a real downer in your fun space cowboy movie <laughs> to talk about genocide. But the Mandalorians very clearly have suffered essentially a genocide and have like a a system of like we've a, got a, a diaspora, we've, we've got a, yeah. yeah we've got a creed we've got our rules that we follow we bring children we rescue children and bring them into the culture and that's how we survive as a culture and then we see like their whole thing about the beskar armor and all of that and i just i really like that because what little we got of it you really got a sense of of that, that he is something bigger than himself, this Mandalorian. Even though he wasn't born a Mandalorian, he is one, and it means something. And uh, and I just, I, you don't get a lot of that in stories like this, and I really liked it. it. It reminded me, like I told Dan, it reminded me of, in Judaism, saying every child born to a Jewish woman is Jewish. It's like you make rules when, you're, uh, when your population's under pressure in order to keep the 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 population going and i felt like mandalorians are doing that too right they've got a system to stay alive because there aren't that many of them anymore mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and it's an interesting riff too you know you know we've talked about the animated shows the animated shows delve very heavily into the mandalorian culture pre the original trilogy and there's a lot going on there and some of it looks very different from what we see here but we also get the idea that there was some sort of inciting event in between that's what Giancarlo Giancarlo Esposito's character talks about towards the end right like the night of a thousand tears or whatever um like there's a lot happening here in terms of like how this culture has adapted uh you know post empire or what have you and i i think it's a fascinating look at this and gives an opportunity to really like jason said delve into a part of this culture that we don't really experience in the same way you know we have cara dune left over from alderaan here and in some ways she and the mandalorian have that in common as well uh, but the alderanian like sort of remnants are not really ever dealt with so uh, i think it's it's so you've cool. got orthodox mandalorians you got reform <laughs> Mandalorians. It's just, it's complicated. And they can take the uh, the helmet off, but only on Saturdays. <laughs> so Giancarlo Esposito, who everybody was talking about, oh, he's in the show, and he doesn't show up until episode seven. But when he does, it's uh, it's he's Moff Gideon. He is a he, he's a Moff that I remember that from like 
Peter Cushing. I don't actually know what that means. It means big guy in the empire, but there's no empire. But what does it mean? And he's a he's he he just kills he mows down Werner Herzog and all of his guys, which is, seems wasteful, but whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And then he's got this. Uh, there's a great fight scene at the end where Mandalorian. T- takes a jetpack and carves up part of a tie fighter and all of that but then he he has a dark saber and uh car- at the end and kind of gets out of it because you know he's not dead he's coming back for more right, in well, season he's two. our big bad we still don't really know you can kind of read between the lines as to why he might want baby yoda but like it's never stated uh which is kind of interesting right because in the in the beginning we we had Werner Herzog was our sort of like, oh, this guy, he wants the baby for some reason. And then there's a scientist who's like studying the baby, but we don't know why. And there's somebody else pulling right. the strings. And then when we finally meet him, even then we're like, I don't know, I guess maybe he's just mean. Maybe he just really doesn't like baby Yoda. We don't know. Right. Because the baby to the bad guys, the baby is a MacGuffin in a way that it isn't so much to the Mandalorian because he's right. taking care so of it. But the bad guys want yeah. that baby. Like, we don't know why exactly, although I got a good idea. Working title of this show was Get That Baby. (laughs) (laughs) A Star Wars story. (laughs) Esposito, uh, of course, he was uh, the big bad in Breaking Bad uh, for for many seasons. Uh, He's he's one of the best villain actors uh, just out there. Um, this, this one, he's a little, a little more broadly Star Wars villainish. Um, but, uh, but he, he's got the charisma going for him. And then what they do with him, um, you know, he is that broad Star Wars villain, but it's an Imperial remnant. So the big, the big set piece at the end of this entire first season is, is a fight between one dude in armor and one TIE fighter. <laughs> and after, I keep coming back to, you know, my unfair comparison between this and Rise of Skywalker, but after a... Uh, you could say Return of the Jedi, too, right? Where there's a million spaceships yeah. and... Yeah, a million spaceships, and here it's down to one guy versus one plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Been yeah. there. Jetpack versus also, space plane. It also sort of makes sense to me then that sort of the beginning if that's going to be like the big you got to have your big battle at the end and you got to you know this is this is now moff gideon this is a a very dignified powerful bad guy but at the very beginning of that episode all of that had been like sort of pre-undercut by the the two stormtroopers uh (laughs) sitting out on their speeders sort of talking you know radioing in every once in a while okay well did you talk to him no he's he's killing a bunch of people right now so uh we're 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 not saying anything oh okay (laughs) and and so just it it felt like like those on, on, on that episode those bookends it was like okay he's he is sort of the big, powerful bad, but this is also like the series where we look at it from like the perspective of the every guy. So we're going to look at him from that perspective, too. Did that last episode feel very different from the previous seven simply because of Taika Waititi? I mean, yes and no. I mean, there's a lot of it that feels very much of a piece with it. It, it certainly diverges, I think, a little more heavily into humor at a couple points. Yeah, the op- but I the think opening it, bit, which is essentially opening, like a comedy it, sketch, an SNL skit. Yeah, yeah. like it's it's, it's great. funny. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> it's it feels a little weird based on what we'd seen so far. But I have no objections to it because I thought it was hilarious. Um, I, I think that it also, you know, speaking of sort of the arc as a whole. 
I really love the last episode and where that goes, both in terms of introducing our big bad, but also in terms of the themes that we've been sort of laying out for this entire season, uh, especially and this is something we haven't really got into, but like one of the Mandalorian's defining traits is that he hates droids. Right. And and we know this because we know he the reason he hates droids is because they essentially killed his his family and all his people. And we get that lovely mirroring shot of him uh being rescued or, or not or him being uh you know menaced by a droid in his flashback. Um, and he, part of the reason that he saves the baby, I think in episode one is because the baby looks out and the first thing the baby sees is like a robot (laughs) who's going to kill him. Right. And like, that's, that's where the whole identification comes in. He's like, I'm not going to let the, another robot kill another baby. That's, that's wrong. But we get all the way around in the last episode to the robot being the one who not only, you know, saves the baby at several points, but also saves all of them, including the Mandalorian a couple times and dies in the process. And I love that redemption moment. And like, personally, my favorite bit of that entire thing is like, there's a a thing towards the end of episode eight, where IG 11 is, is talking about how, you know, the only option is for him to go out there and try to shoot their way out of all these stormtroopers who are laying a trap for them. And the Mandalorian just looks at him and goes like, you don't have that kind of firepower, pal. And like, all of a sudden we've gone in the last, you know, 10 minutes of that episode from him treating this as like essentially a killing machine thing to an ally. And I loved that that character progression. I thought it was fabulous. Yep. I mean, it, it is. And it's set up from the beginning, right? Like, this is very clearly a series that was entirely written before they shot it. They know exactly where they're going. And I adm- admire that about it, too. That, that it, it's all... There are some loose ends that feel like uh, like they were intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and having John Favreau having written most of it, and in fact, the two episodes that he didn't write are the kind of most inessential in a way right it's the Tatooine episode and it's the heist episode which uh that that chapter six is a fun heist episode it is also basically a doctor who episode um (laughs) uh, like chip am i right like time heist right down to the fact that they've got kind of one corridor and they light it differently in a few different ways because they they only built the one corridor. it's a fun episode though but it is it is a little bit like that and those are the two that are not john favreau so he obviously had a had the big picture idea of what he wanted this story to be and he realized it which is really impressive it's weird i got a little antsy in the middle of the season um by once we got into the episodes that were more like utterly standalone um and and more sort of patterned on well now we are going to do the x episode well that gina carano episode right where we meet her is is like (laughs) the most and and there's a reason for it but because they're like trying to cool it down but it it is just it is literally gunslinger it's high noon right it's like gunslinger comes to town yeah exactly it's it's, it is yes i i had that actually that episode was my least favorite and at one point i was like okay there is doing an homage and then there's lifting the script because it really did feel like okay we're going to do the seven samurai but we're just going to lazily do the seven samurai yeah. and also literally dave filoni did that in a clone wars episode yeah. already once i also sometimes wonder if that's the pitch of the show it's like we're going to do some episodes that are like totally homages to these sort of things and then the show is actually more than that but those those homages remain 
Well, but, but the funny thing is when I look back at like, okay, which individual episodes do I want to see again? Again, the top of my list is the heist episode because that was like the most electrifying, like what is going to, like, mm -hmm. you know, from the moment that, that, uh, that they take off from, from the base um, and they're all just sitting in, in the, in, in the shuttle, like making fun of the Mandalorian. I'm like, oh, this is not going to go well. It's going to go bad. How, how exactly? is this going to fall apart for in sure different way. Mm -hmm. and so it was it was the one that felt the most like compelling in in that sense i watched this series uh, each episode with my son a 17 year old um who uh it tends to be very jaded but he certainly bought into mandalorian and this episode was the one that brought us both to our feet howling with the door gag when yes. the Mandalorian is fighting oh, Clancy yeah. Brown as Berg. <laughs> and that final door slam just had us in tears. Well, he does his move from the first episode and it doesn't work. And it's like, oh yeah. no. And he's like, wow, there's, an, uh, there's another door. I, I personally, I love, <laughs> I, I love that episode for no other reason than the cameo of Matt Lanter as the pilot of the prison ship. Who is the, bump. the actor who voices Anakin Skywalker in the Clone Wars, playing a very un-Anakin Skywalker <laughs> character uh, with his yeah terrible hat and everything. And that, yeah, that episode, there's just so much going on. And like, like Helene and Jason, both of you guys, I think, hit on like, you don't really know where that episode is going. It doesn't really fit a a shape in the same way that like the Magnificent Seven episode. You know exactly how that's going to play out. It's still fun, but it's formulaic. This one is a formulaic, but it's like, since it doesn't have so much bearing on the plot, overarching plot, it can kind of play around with things. And and I wanted to particularly call out, I love the the cinematography in that episode, especially the shot with um, Space Boston guy uh, when he <laughs> gets killed by the Mandalorian or, or, or grabbed by the Mandalorian. There's like a horror movie style shot oh, yeah. with oh, the yeah. flickering light as the Mandalorian creeps up on him. And that is just Awesome. It's so good. It is such mm -hmm. a nice shot. It's so good. And and you can afford to play around and do these expensive, weird shots in this kind of show because, you know, they're 35-minute episodes. And this episode was written uh, by the writer of both Jason's least favorite and favorite Thor movies, Christopher Yost. Mm. He wrote <laughs> Dark World and Ragnarok. Yeah, well, he got redeemed there at the end, didn't he? <laughs> he also worked on uh, Justified, I believed. Yeah, that that is, uh, yeah, it's a it's a good episode, and um, yeah, yeah, you know, this show. What what can what can you say? It, it is. Um, I don't know what my ex expectations were. By the way, Chip, my fifteen year old, jaded fifteen year old, also thought the Mandalorian was awesome, which is again. He is it, these teenagers. Sometimes you just wonder if they like anything, right? But no, he loved it. Uh, absolutely loved it. It was great. Um, uh, what a neat trick this show was. Like in the end, that's that's what I keep coming back to. Is um, I didn't know what to expect. Didn't know how accessible it would be. And it turns out that I imagine the Disney Plus charter was sort of like this needs to be something that everybody will enjoy and please make it something that has kind of broad appeal and not like a super narrow niche fan thing but like and for god's sake make it memeable. Yeah, but how <laughs> yeah, done and done. But how how lucky like uh, are we that that this is what came out of it because yeah, it is accessible and fun and everybody seems to enjoy it and like even jaded kids enjoy it and people who've been Star Wars fans their whole lives uh, and are you know older enjoy it like it it, it is uh it, it's a neat trick and I hope 
the other part of this is mm-hmm. I hope that they learned a lot of really great lessons from this that they're applying to the future Star Wars TV series that they're obviously doing. There are already a couple that are that we know are going to happen because like this, I want this to have set the te- set the template. Like, yes, this is what Star Wars on TV looks like now. Not not that they all need to be the same, but like, right. This is an, a a good example of like how you do this right. This has not established a new formula for Star Wars TV shows, but it's demonstrated that as long as it's good and as long as you've it's got a point of view and inhabits a certain kind of genre somewhere, there's no reason it can't be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I hope that the same lessons go into play in the second season of this show as well, right? Like, because obviously there's always a temptation to be like, ah, this thing's a huge hit. Let's make it twice as many episodes and every episode is twice as long. And they're all just about Baby Yoda. Yeah, that's right. He's the star of the show. It's called the Baby Yoda now. Uh, I'm hoping that they are very, I I mean, again, I trust the people who have created this show. They've clearly showed so much thought and and Disney seems to have given them a certain amount of latitude uh, in terms of how they want to do this show. (laughs) And, you know, I hope that 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 is something that they can stick to in the next season. Yep. You know, I was about to say that there are two things that if I see in season two that I'm going to be really disappointed in. They were going they would be lightsabers and Gungans. And it just hit me (laughs) that this show could probably pull off a Gungan. They make a joke about the Gungan. Yes. They make a joke that the Mandalorian's a Gungan, which is weird. I appreciated the heck out of that joke. It was very funny and a little uncomfortable. Yes. That makes sense. So they're doing, they're already making a second season of the Mandalorian. um, So we can look forward to that at the end of the year, this in fall of 2020, did they say? Yes, in the fall. Uh, and then we know that they're developing an Obi-Wan series with uh, Ewan McGregor. Uh, which run by Deborah Chow, who directed at least one of these. Right. Uh, and appears in a cameo, as do uh, a couple of the other directors in the uh, in the Space Heist episode as the X-Wing pilots at the end. And another thing I wanted to mention before we go, the um, technically, so this show looks really great. And it looks like they did a lot of location shooting. And uh, based on the articles I read, it's actually this new technique where they have these um, virtual sound stages where they have like giant LED uh, projected screens behind the actors. And so if you if you're and surrounding them, yeah, yeah. If so, if you're wondering like, wow, did they really take all of these actors of a TV show out to Tunisia to shoot all that stuff in the desert? The answer is no. They shot plates in the desert in tunisia with like a very small crew and then they projected that on the soundstage where the actors were and then because of the way it's shot uh it looks great like it looks amazing keep doing it so expensive because it it doesn't look like a star trek I, i i read about this and i'm like isn't this just like a fancy version of the star trek planet where it's just sort of like there's an orange background and a rock and then you're on an alien planet it's like no no, they it's did a the really same good job. Forest in Vancouver, yeah. every single time. Exactly. So I, I, I like that there. The the tradition of Star Wars pushing technology is continuing here, and they're that they're using this stuff to make it look like Star Wars and and as expansive as Star Wars, but on a on a TV budget, still a good TV budget, but still a TV budget. So it looks really great. So um, I hope that continues as well because it, it 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 was it sounded. That's the other part of this, right? It was fun. It was well paced. It looked great. It sounded great. The music was great. Like they had the technical stuff down. They had the story stuff down. It's really nice when all that stuff clicks. And it really did with the Mandalorian, I think. Yeah, no, it it does fire on all cylinders. And again, I think going back to what we talked about at the beginning, it just feels like Star Wars. And like, that's, 
That's hard. There's there's recent Star Wars stuff that does not feel as Star Warsy as this to mm-hmm. me, and that's a weird thing to say, especially about the movies that they spend so much money on. But it is amazing to me that this eight episode, you know, half hours of miniseries feels more like the Star Wars I remember. Yeah. Uh, than some of the recent movies. Well, the pressure was off, I feel like, in one way. I'm sure they felt pressure because of the Disney Plus launch, but on another level, they didn't have the pressure of making a, you know, several hundred million dollar movie that needs to appeal to everybody worldwide and is part of this mm-hmm. billions dollar acquisition and all that. Instead, I it feels to me like the charter of The Mandalorian was tell a good Star Wars story in a TV series, John Favreau. And he said, okay. <laughs> and then he said, can I have a baby Yoda? <laughs> and they said, "What?" He said, "I need said, a puppet. I need a puppet budget." And they're like, "I just want to see it. It's Star Wars. You got a puppet you get, budget. You got to see it." All right. Well, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Um, this is the way. But uh, I would like to thank my panel for joining me to talk about the Mandalorian, which was a lot of fun. I'm going to miss it, but I'm also looking forward to it coming back for season two. Aline Sims, thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm I'm ready for season two. Like they could give it to me now, and I'd be happy. Yeah, now let's let's now. Can, can, can we do that? I want it. Uh, oh, by the way, as we're saying goodbye, um, uh, art that represents what this episode was uh, envisioned by artists <laughs> is playing over the end credits. Oh, it's I forgot good. to mention that I art and how that. concept great art. the concept I love art is. That. Uh, yeah, I keep forgetting. Yeah, this. it's great, and also it's before they cast the actors, so the yeah, characters are more generic because they haven't cast the actual actors yet. It's great. Anyway, so that's that's playing as I say goodbye to Chip Sutter. Thank you for being here. Make mine Mando. Nice, nice. Now there's a picture of an Ugnaught that has come up, and I say, thank you, Dan Morin. I have spoken. <laughs> and Helene Wecker, thank you so much for being here. I'm not Gina Carano, but I like to think I might be. You're in the concept <laughs> art. You're, in, you're, you're her in the concept art. You're Cara Dune in the concept art. And uh, I've been your host, Jason Snell. I have spoken, as uh, has everyone else, and this is the way. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will see you next week. Bye.